Good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. And since we've had all the messages about Easter, we'll go. No. <laughs> They're good songs, good hymns, and a good message there in song. So good morning, and we're going to be looking at the Easter story. And we're going to be looking at, uh, first of all, John 19, if you want to start turning there, John 19. Let's, uh, let's look to the Lord in prayer as we begin. Our Father, we ask your blessing on this time as we look into your word. May it enrich our hearts. May it even change our hearts if it's never done so before. And we pray that we may understand what Easter is all about and give praise to you because of it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us in verses 3 and 4, the words of Paul, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Well, you know, that's the gospel message that Jesus died for our sins, was buried and he rose again the third day. Now, the first part of that is he died for our sins. The sinless one died for the sinful, that was his purpose and his aim, to go to the cross and pay the penalty of sin for every person. And to those who believe, he forgives every sin and he gives them eternal life. Now, was this an actual factual event? Yes. According to John 19 verse 31, it, this passage tells us that the soldiers knew he died. <laughs> there was no mistake. It says, therefore, because it was the preparation day. Now, I need to pause here and mention that preparation day is always Friday. Always Friday. It was the day that the Jews prepared for the Sabbath by getting all their things were ready because on the Sabbath, they could not work. So you cooked your meals. You did everything beforehand. It was the preparation day. Mark 15.42 says specifically that it was preparation day. That is the day before the Sabbath. Since the Jews couldn't be working on that day, they would prepare for it. And in modern Greek, the name for Friday is preparation. The Greek word for preparation. There's no mistake. Let's continue. Therefore, because it was the preparation day that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, and that means a holiday. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Now, what they were doing was that they were hastening the death of the soldier, I mean, the, not soldiers, criminals, except for Jesus, the three on the cross, so that they would not be uh, uh, breaking the law. The law said that they could not keep them hanging all night. And so uh, 
not only was the law an important part, but also the next day was the Sabbath. And you don't want to do any work on the Sabbath. And then the next day was also a holiday. So there's all the reasons to not leave the bodies on the cross. Well, it says in verse 32 of John, uh, John 19, then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who was crucified with him, meaning Jesus. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead, they did not break his legs. Did you know this fulfills a prophecy that not one bone will be broken? Well, when Pilate, the governor, heard that he was dead, he marveled that Jesus was already dead. I don't know, maybe he expected him to do something, <laughs> but uh, he was dead and marveled. And he summoned the centurion to verify that Jesus was dead. And the centurion said, sure, sure enough, he is dead. There was no question he had died. Now, if we could turn to Matthew 27 for the next part of this, this is the part that says that he was buried. Now, there are many theories that men have come up that he really didn't die, he didn't, wasn't really buried, and that he didn't rise from the dead. Well, the scriptures refute that. Now, in Matthew 27, 57, we read of the certainty of the burial. Now, when evening had come, there came a rich man named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate, Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb. Now I've seen pictures of the, this kind of tomb and the stone that is, it's huge. It covers the whole opening. And it's, it, they say it's very difficult to move. You need help in moving these round, sort of like millstone uh, things that would roll against the door. Well, he rolled a large stone against the tomb of the, against the, against the door of the tomb and departed. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive, I, I notice they don't like to mention him by name, while he was still alive, how that deceiver said, after three days, I will arise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard. Go your way, make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Now, it seems like they've done everything they could 
there was a seal that was put on the door meeting the, the cave or the tomb. And you could tell if it had been tampered. And this is now Roman authority that has sealed this tomb. And they set guards. What more could they do? They'd done everything they could. But now we go to chapter 28 of Matthew, continuing. For the third part that he rose from the dead. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Wow, what a shock. <laughs> but the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. He is risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. So they came and, be, and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell the brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Well, these are the first of the many witnesses who saw Jesus raised from the dead. By the time Jesus ascended into heaven, 40 days later, many would see him. But at the same time as this was happening, there was something going on among the authorities. And that's where we come to verse 11. Now, while they, the women, were going, Behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we, while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him. We'll make him feel better about it and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day, the writing of Matthew. Well, you know, terrified soldiers, the terrified soldiers knew the truth that what had happened. But they were bribed to tell a lie tell lies about what had happened. But you know, the lies don't make sense. Think of this. They were asleep when it happened and yet they knew all that happened. That, that doesn't ring quite right. The other thing is that 
they were, um, the disciples stole the body. But soldiers sleeping on duty in those days and failing to guard were executed. You put your life on the line. And then no alarm was sounded. Oh, they're coming. They're coming to take the, the body. But here was, here was a real government cover-up, bribery to lie, witness protection plan, and some kind of conspiracy theory. You know what? The authorities never investigated the crime. No disciple was arrested or brought to trial for robbing the grave sealed by the authority of the Roman Empire. Hey, these leaders were not about to accept the evidence, much less admit the truth of what had happened. In reality, Jesus had risen an inescapable, verifiable truth. It was absolutely true. And you know, the Easter story is not complete without the resurrection. I mean, that is the key of Easter, of the Easter story. Some of Christianity leaves Jesus on the cross like crucifixes. But the crucifixion is not the big event or the crowning event for Christianity. It is the resurrection. And just to give you an idea of how important the resurrection is, I'm going to mention two sermons that the disciples preached after Jesus ascended into heaven. The first one is Peter preaching the resurrection of Jesus to the Jews. In Acts 2.36, he said, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Later on, he adds, But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead. Now, Peter also says, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. Well, they must have been quite startled. I mean, they had killed Jesus, uh, left for, for dead. Uh, and now they learn that he is alive. Uh, which meant that he's not only alive, but he's made Lord in Christ, which means he's the rightful king. He is really the, the Messiah. And he's also the redeemer that they had shunned. I think uh, if we could put it this way, it was one of those uh-oh moments. <laughs> uh-oh, what have we done? Because they did not know the one that they had killed is now the exalted king and Lord. And so if that is true, then his blood is on their hands. And so they asked Peter, what shall we do? And he says, they should be converted, repent and converted that their sins be blotted out. They were to be to repent and to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And by the way, this is not teaching salvation by baptism. 
if we notice carefully, the baptism was a national requirement for the nation of Israel, for the Jews, for what they had done to Jesus. And so this is what they were to do or, you know, and get right with God or face the consequences. And of course, we know they never did. They never turned to God and the nation was destroyed by Rome. God had Rome come in and destroy the city and the temple. And uh, uh, that was their sin of rejection. Well, another example is Paul preaching the resurrection to the Gentiles in Acts 17. Now, Paul was invited to Mars Hill. It was called Areopagus. It was sort of like the present day talk shows on TV. You know, you, if you were well known, you would be invited to speak or, you know, come on, come on the show. Well, so Paul was invited because he had this new religion that they didn't know about. And so they invited him and he came and on his way, he noted an altar that said to the altar to the unknown God, because, well, they, they had idols and altars all over the city. And they, the purpose was so that they might, you know, appease the gods. But just in case there was one God they missed, they erected this altar to the unknown God. And Paul takes this as an opportunity to speak about the God of heaven. He told them about the true God they did not know. And uh, he told them that up to this time, God overlooked their ignorance in their worship of idols. And in Acts 17.30, he says, truly these times of ignorance, God overlooked. But now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. I will give a clue. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So what they're hearing is God's going to set up a tribunal and all the world is going to be judged by this man and he's confirmed it by raising him from the dead. Now this is something unusual, something new. Later on, Paul would explain to the Philippians who this man was. God has also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. So what this meant was, hey, there's a man in heaven who will judge. And not only that, but what he, Paul is saying is that you're all going to be resurrected. Well, it says here that some heard about the resurrection and ridiculed it, saying that, I mean, that they mocked and, and then others believed. Now, I think the ones that believed no doubt had thoughts about, yeah, I'm, I'm going to face that judge. I better, I better turn to him. 
And it said it is said that they joined Paul and believed. Now, when I was growing up, there was a period of time that I believed that if we were to die, we would go into nothingness. There would be blackness and emptiness for forever. And that's that's really what I thought. I didn't know how I came upon that thought because my family were not religious. They never said anything about it. But I truly believed that when we died, that was the end. Well, it was when I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior and heard biblical teaching and read the Bible that I found otherwise. I found the truth. And one of the passages that I would have learned from would have been the resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. And that's what I'm going to read a few verses from there. Because the very purpose of 1 Corinthians 15 is to refute the fact that there wasn't a resurrection, that Jesus never rose from the dead. And uh, I don't know how, but they just got into that idea that there was no resurrection of, from the dead. The first thing that Paul does is lists many witnesses who saw the resurrected Jesus. He included the disciples. He included the 500, over 500 that saw him at one time. And he included himself as he met him on the road to Damascus. He is risen. He knew that. But then he builds the case. Here's the case that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And here's what we read, starting verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 15. He says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up and if in fact the dead do not rise. So we're false teachers now. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile or empty. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ, meaning the believers who had died, have perished. Just what I used to believe. <laughs> and then he says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, that is without the resurrection, we are of all men, the most pitiable or miserable. Well, I'm thankful that there is a resurrection from the dead and that Christ arose. We place our faith in him, in the one who lives. We put our faith in one who lives. When we do, our sins are forgiven because the Lord is risen. He guarantees it because he lives. The resurrection of Jesus also guarantees that we who believe on him shall live again and live with him. As he came through death, we too shall come through death. Because he lives, we too shall live. The resurrection is the grand event that gives hope. And the final enemy will be defeated. 
death. I like what uh, Paul wrote here in verses 54 and 55. When this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. I like that. And then death and Hades, that is the region beyond death, will be taunted. Oh, death, where's your sting? Come on, where's your sting? And then, oh, Hades, where's your victory? Can't, you can't do it. Can't win. Well, you know, Jesus rising from the dead made him Lord and King, made him judge of all mankind, but he's the savior to all who believe on him. And he's also the hope of all those that believe because we have a hope in him that we shall rise to be with him. We shall share in the victory with our Lord Jesus Christ who first rose from the dead. Let's pray. Father, we pray that each one here may know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal savior, that they will too have victory in their lives because they have believed on him who gives eternal life. But then we also pray that we may know him and live for him because he's worth living for, because he loved us and gave himself for us, our living Lord. We pray Thanking you for this precious truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.